Hello, I'm Barbara Spring, author of a book about the Great Lakes. It's called The Dynamic Great Lakes. And in this book, I talk about how the Great Lakes were formed, tell something about each Great Lake, and I especially focus on the changes in the lakes due to natural causes and man-made causes. I'm going to read a little bit from the book. I wrote the book so that people could have some background information so that they could make some good decisions about the lakes. And uh, some people have told me, I've lived here by the lake all my life, and I never knew these things. So I'm hoping that people will read it and understand. This is from the introduction. The story of the Great Lakes is a story of great changes as well as great mistakes. Formed by Ice Age glaciers that covered much of the Earth, then melted back north four times, the Great Lakes in their present form are rather young, 3,000 years, if measured against the age of planet Earth, and the Great Lakes continue to change year by year, month by month, week by week, day by day, and hour by hour. The Great Lakes are dynamic bodies of water, We know that lake levels rise and fall as they have always done. Building too close to the water is not wise. This is a natural change, but other changes have been caused by people inhabiting its watersheds and even beyond Great Lakes watersheds. Over the past 200 years, the most rapid changes in the Great Lakes have occurred due to human activities. Some species became extinct, while others nearly so. We have learned that with knowledge of how ecology works, we have the ability to correct mistakes made in the past. Some creatures sensitive to pollution are indicators of a healthy environment. Mayflies, lake trout, and the American bald eagle, for example. With the ban on DDT, eagles are no longer endangered in the lower United States. There are still problems to be solved. Exotic species such as zebra mussel, the loss of wetlands and dunes and pollutants that reach the lakes through air, earth, and water. The dynamic Great Lakes will show how these freshwater seas have changed and continue to change through natural and man-made causes. The first chapter, I give a definition of the Great Lakes. This is the definition. The Great Lakes are a flowing river of seas left behind by Ice Age glaciers and are nearly 20% of the world's supply of fresh surface water, the world's greatest freshwater system. The Great Lakes look and behave like oceans because of their great size. Together, the Great Lakes cover an area equal to Scandinavia and have a coastline of 11,232 miles, including connecting channels, mainland, and islands. Their shoreline is equal to almost 45% of the circumference of the Earth. 
Their waters descend from the highest, coldest, and northernmost Lake Superior through the St. Mary's River and the Sioux Locks to fill Lakes Michigan and Huron, then flow through the St. Clair River and Lake St. Clair and the Detroit River into Lake Erie, then down the Niagara River and Niagara Falls into Lake Ontario. Like water spilling from a series of basins from higher to lower, the water follows gravity running a thousand more miles from the outlet of Lake Ontario through Canada's St. Lawrence River, dotted with more than 1,800 islands, until the fresh water reaches and mingles with the Atlantic's ocean salt water. Their waters support an array of life that has evolved over thousands of years. These freshwater seas, the Great Lakes, have been exploited and have received the fallout of modern industry and agriculture. They have been invaded by exotic species. As a result, extinctions of freshwater life are taking place rapidly. Well, I go on to talk about some of the species that have lived in the Great Lakes for thousands of years and then talk about how the natural balance of nature has been upset by exotic species such as the zebra mussel, gobies, and uh, other things that really don't belong there like the lamprey eel. Uh, in the chapter about Lake Superior, I talk about a beautiful fish that still lives there, has lived there a long time. It's the Isle Royal Redfin Lake Trout. I'll read a bit from that chapter. The deep waters of Lake Superior are still clean enough for this endemic species to reproduce. A long and heavy female redfin lake trout slowly swims through the cool depths of Lake Superior. Deep water is her habitat. Her deeply forked tail fans in the water. Her markings, a dapple of greens, grays, and silver, blend in with the colors of the rippling water. Her colors are her camouflage. She is 10 years old, a prime age for breeding, and her belly bulges with eggs. Her instincts tell her it is time. The days have grown shorter and cooler in October. She feels an irresistible urge to return to the place where she was born, the rocks near Isle Royal. The memory of the place is imprinted within her body. When she first reached maturity at the age of seven, she began the first of these journeys. Year after year, she returns to deposit her eggs so the next generation of lake trout may carry on their age-old life cycles. Lake trout may live from 13 to 20 years. All around her, schools of the native Isle Royal Redfin lake trout are milling about their birthplace which is also their spawning place, as they have done for thousands of years. Lake trout, like their close relatives, the salmon, are strong fish, capable of traveling for hundreds of miles to their birthplace for spawning. She waits until dark for the spawning to begin, 
The moon and stars shine on the surface of the calm lake. She is followed by a male lake trout who watches while hundreds of coral-colored eggs cascade from her body onto the stony lake bottom. When she has finished laying her eggs, he positions himself over them and fertilizes them with a sticky white substance called milt. The fertilized eggs fall into the deep crevices between the rocks where they will develop for the next four to five months. Not every egg will hatch, though, because many eggs are eaten by other fish such as suckers, yellow perch, minnows, and even other small lake trout. This great abundance of life increases the possibility that the next generation will carry on the species in spite of the accidents that might cause the fertilized egg or the young fish to die or to be eaten. During each breeding season, far more young fish are produced in any given body of water than that body of water can support. Predators are necessary to keep their numbers in check. Otherwise, the fish would starve or develop diseases. From the rocky island nearby, the laughing cries of loons ring through the crisp autumn air. Loons, a species of diving waterfowl, live in northern lakes and migrate south as the days grow shorter. The spawning lake trout are safe from the sharp eyes of the bald eagle, who has gone to rest until dawn. Their spawning accomplished, the lake trout return to deeper water. They pass other native species of fish, whitefish, and primitive-looking bottom-dwelling sturgeon, the largest of the Great Lakes fish, and burbot, another bottom-dwelling fish. They pass a nearly invisible commercial fishing net near the bottom, which has caught a number of lake trout and, by accident, a loon. Some fish are dead and some struggle to free themselves from the fine mesh net that stretches for miles, catches fish by gills, and eventually kills them. The lake trout reaches, reaches the safety of deeper water where she will live through the winter. Well, other chapters in the book are about Lake Michigan. And I'll read a little bit from Lake Michigan. This is the only lake that is entirely within the United States. The four Great Lakes waters are shared by Canada and the U.S. So Lake Michigan and Lake Huron are geologically the same lake. They're connected at the Straits of Mackinac. Uh, the reason why they're geologically the same lake is because they're the same sea level. There are many major industrial centers on Lake Michigan, such as Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Chicago, Illinois, Gary, Indiana, and uh, also large-scale agriculture and shipping. So this has added to the burden of pollution in this lake. The food chains in these two lakes have changed rapidly in the past hundred years. In the wetlands and in embayments of numerous islands of Lake Michigan and Lake Huron, 
flies are good indicators of a healthy habitat. Some people call them fish flies. There are several varieties well known by fishermen who tie artificial flies. On a warm day in late June or early July, the northern waters of Lakes Huron and Michigan and all of Lake Superior undulate gently. Reflections of trees shine in their glassy waters. Suddenly the surface pops with the emerging of billions of fish flies wiggling free from their cases. They are lucky if they live to fly off before a fish sucks them out of the water first. If they fly, ducklings, songbirds, and flocks of seagulls gobble them like guests at a festive banquet. The graceful flies with soft bodies and transparent veined wings that do survive find a mate, mate, and then the female lays about 3,000 eggs on the surface of the water. The eggs sink to the bottom, develop into larvae or the nymph stage. On the bottom, they stay for one or two years, feeding upon plankton and molting up to 30 times until it's time for them to emerge as adult insects, popping out of their casings like popcorn. The life cycles begin again. There are many varieties of fish flies, and their presence shows that the food chain is healthy. This is in the upper part of Lake Michigan, the more northern part. So mayflies are an indication that the ecosystem is healthy. Other parts of the book talk about fish that have been planted in the Great Lakes, and there's a great salmon fishery. Salmon were planted in the Great Lakes to curb the uh, alewife population. Alewife uh, got into the Great Lakes in the ballast water of freighters, came in through channels, and uh, since they didn't have any good uh, natural predators, since the lamprey eel had decimated the lake trout population, their population just exploded. And my, I go into more detail in the book about this and how coho, chinook, and pink salmon have thrived and fishermen have enjoyed catching them. And uh, other parts of the book talk about, uh, I talk about how we can do things by getting involved in the democratic process. I say, think globally and act locally. We can be effective. If there's uh, something that's not right, you can uh, seek out the local people. You can write to your Congress people. You can write to uh, various agencies and so forth. Uh, the Great Lakes are so valuable that we need to get involved in the fight to keep them pristine. They're not pristine anymore, but it's a good goal to work for. We should always uh, make sure that we're living a lifestyle where we're not polluting the water. That's the best place to start. You know, start right at home by uh, disposing of things properly that uh, should not get into the lakes. Just one piece of legislation helped tremendously, and that was the banning of DDT. Food chains in the Great Lakes are long, and uh, 
pesticides and things that don't break down quickly can uh, build up and build up until they become lethal. This is what happened in the case of the American bald eagle. Uh, when people stopped using DDT on a wholesale basis, then the eagles uh, started to come back. It took a long time for these poisons to purge out of the Great Lakes, but now the eagles are back, and it's wonderful to see them, and the peregrine falcons, too. We drink the water from the Great Lakes. We need to beware that uh, we keep it clean and not ship the water out of the uh, watersheds because although, although the Great Lakes are very large, they are fragile. They are vulnerable. Groundwater, tributaries, all these things are connected. So we need to conserve what we can. The dynamic Great Lakes has been critically acclaimed. That means that reviewers gave it a thumbs up. They liked it. It's not a difficult book to read. It's available on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and I have a website too, www.geocities.com, Barbara Spring, or just type the dynamic Great Lakes into a uh, Google and it'll pop right up. I've got a lot of information on my website about the Great Lakes and a lot of pictures. A lot of people just enjoy looking at the pictures and the uh, information about the Great Lakes on the Dynamic Great Lakes website. The Great Lakes are a treasure, and many people treasure them for their beauty, for the fish, and that's why I wrote the Dynamic Great Lakes. I wanted people to have a little reference to the Great Lakes and possibly uh, possibly empower them to do something in the place where they live and beyond. Barbara Spring, author of the Dynamic Great Lakes.